Hey, this is Kyle Turner, the lead pastor of Hillsong, Kansas City. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you, encourages you, and most importantly, helps you get closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen. Hey, let's welcome those that are online watching. We love you. Hope you're good. Grab your seat. I would say it's nice that the election is over. But who knows? Crazy days. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that I have a citizenship in heaven. And like it says in Hebrews 12, that we get the privilege to build a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Today's message is definitely a kingdom message. And I need you to lean in with an open heart to hear what God wants to speak to you. Anytime you lean in and ask God to speak, I guarantee you he's going to impress something on your heart, whether it's through a passage of scripture, even his still small voice. He wants to speak to you, do something new in you. And we need him now more than ever, a united church for everybody. I don't know about you. I heard one preacher say, I don't want the left wing or the right wing. I want the whole bird. I feel the same way. I want a church that looks like this city. I want a church that reaches every demographic, every type of person, because that's what God's after. Amen? Amen. Hey, thank you so much. We're going to move the kingdom forward. So much focus is on the temporal, here and now. Hey, even election, that's only four years, eight years. It's the stuff we do for the kingdom of God. This is forever stuff. And the frontline faith, I think we're speaking to this, this call from God to live for him, be the one of the first to step in for him so that he can do the everlasting, so he can do the eternal through, through us. And the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom of God? It's not the rule and reign of a person, of man. It's the rule and reign of a king named Jesus. And it's hearts, it's lives. It's bigger than a nation. It's the whole world. It's every heart that calls upon him as Lord, Savior, King. And God is after everyone. God's after every type of person. God is after you. There's a couple of things that manifest and move the kingdom forward in our lives or in our church. Uh, one of them is grace. How many thankful for grace? We need more grace than ever before. Second Peter 3, grow in the grace that you've been given. Unity is one. Unity moves the kingdom of God forward. When we get united, about what matters the most. God shows up and does something significant there. I think honor, honoring the word of God, this is something that fuels the kingdom of God forward. And there's another one that is often missing from many believers' life, but if you want the kingdom, the fullness of God's rule and reign in your life, you've gotta have generosity in your life. God is a generous God and generosity unlocks something from heaven in our earth, in our world, in our lives that is significant. So maybe you're doing well in the grace factor, and maybe you're doing well in the unity factor, maybe you're doing well in the honor place and portion of your life, but it's this generosity place. And so I'm taking the time today in Frontline Faith to just talk about frontline generosity. What does it mean to be a person with a generous spirit, a generous viewpoint, and a generous heart. Now, the reality is this. I probably spend two to three Sundays a year max in the history of our church talking about our finances. Got real quiet in here all of a sudden. I'll talk to those online. They can't get mad at me. 
At least I can't see their faces. But talking about our resource. But the reality is this. We think about our finances 20 or 30 times a day. In fact, the Bible speaks about it significantly. And yet, for, for I think my, my intention and my purpose is always to be reaching hearts, encouraging people. But sometimes we got a challenge. In fact, that's part of my job as a pastor. Uh, of course, foremost, I'm called to, to preach the gospel, to reach people. Uh, part of my job is to be encouraging. Sometimes, though, I need to be challenging and even sometimes correcting. And I think if you've had a viewpoint less than God's biblical mandate of walking in generosity, you might actually need some correcting. I think in 2020, we've all need encouragement. We've all need care. We've all need to know that someone's there for you. But I don't want you to stay stuck. I want you to unlock that missing piece that might be stalling your life from moving forward. And there could be a part to play when it comes to, to generosity. Have you ever had a car stall out? Anyone ever a car break down or run out of gas, overheat, stuck in the middle of an intersection or a road? Anyone ever been there but me? No one had a hoopty but me? Okay, yeah, we've been there. And, and what you have to do, at least back in the day, I don't know about today, everyone seems like they got roadside assistance. Back in the day, you were your own roadside assistance. You had to push that thing. You got out and you were trying to push it with the door open with one hand on the wheel. And if you had some homies in your car and they weren't helping, how many know they weren't homies? And you'll take help from anywhere, some random stranger. Some random stranger touches your car at another moment, you've got a problem with them, but in this moment, they are your best friend and ally in life. And you get like this impromptu bobsled team pushing the car. And, and I've been the person that's jumped out and helped someone else push. And it starts out, it's really heavy. But after you start getting some momentum, the car starts to move. Can I tell you this? The generosity in the kingdom of God is the fuel to take the gospel to the front lines. And it's not about one person or a group of people. It's about everyone who calls Jesus Lord in the local church, pushing and playing their part, that we can move this mission farther than we ever could in our own ability. Generosity is the fuel that doesn't just move Hillsong Church forward. It moves the kingdom of God forward in our city. And the reality is this, I'm not really talking about your giving when it comes to generosity today. I'm talking about your living. Generosity is so much more than a moment or an offering. It's so much bigger than our heart for the house. It's about God's heart for humanity. Generosity unlocks opportunity to reach people that would not have been reached apart from our collected unity and our sacrificial generosity. You might know a person you would call generous. Therefore, you think it's a personality trait. I personally think generosity is a kingdom trait. It, it, it's a personality of Jesus, and it's his heart for us because he loved us so much that he gave. That when your heart is committed and connected to something of significance, any sacrifice seems small in comparison to being a part of what God is doing. And God is calling all of us right where we're at to even feel the stretch of generosity so that he could take us to a place that we have never been before. And I do believe God has something significant for your life in this season. It's heart for the house season. It, to me, is one of the most exciting times of the year, particularly this year, where we don't have a big building project that we're giving to. What we are giving to, we should actually rename it this year. Instead of heart for the house, it should be called heart for the world. Yeah. 
because what we're giving to starting in our city and in our nation and in this world is so much bigger than just us. And I hope that you catch a hold of God's heart for humanity, God's heart for the world, because it will move you to places of radical generosity that you've never been before, but that's where you're called to live. And so maybe this is challenging or even correcting to you, but I want you to be encouraged. Let God speak to your heart. He's got something that he wants to say to you. I want to start in 1 Timothy chapter 6. This passage is challenging. How many are up for a challenge today? I think this passage also is encouraging. It'll encourage you to leverage your life for something even more meaningful than you might have been living for. Context of this passage, this is a letter written from Paul the Apostle to a protege of his, a young preacher, a young pastor named Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, starting verse 17. Tell those who are rich in this present world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But if you're gonna have some pride, their pride should, and trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. This is the key, because I'm not up here to argue with you whether you're rich or not. I think most of us would say we're not, but in viewpoint of the world, we probably are. But that's not the argument I'm up here to make. This is the part I want you to get. Tell them to use their money to do good. The money in itself isn't evil. The love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all evil because it's filled with pride and selfishness. Money itself isn't bad, but it has the opportunity to be used for bad, to be used for pride, to be used for selfishness. But if it's focused in the right place with the right intention, your money actually has the opportunity to do good. I would say this, your money actually has the opportunity to do something that's eternal, which is great. That when we leverage and give with the kingdom heart and viewpoint of generosity, we have the opportunity to do something that's great. So Paul's telling Timothy, hey, young preacher, don't be intimidated to challenge people, not to put their trust in something that'll be here one day and gone the next, but to focus instead on the eternal. And when they get the right perspective, when they get the right viewpoint of generosity, they'll actually do good, and I'll use it to do something great. I'll use it to do something that's lasting. Use their money to do Good. I got a couple questions for you when it comes to generosity. First one is this. How do you see it? What does generosity look like to you? How do you see your resource in the viewpoint of God opportunity? I think generosity is a viewpoint. I think it's much more than a personality trait. It's a kingdom perspective. And just maybe you might need a perspective change today. What's a viewpoint? It's it's a point that you view something from. Your viewpoint of generosity, maybe you got it on your own, maybe you've got the viewpoint from your family of origin, maybe you got your viewpoint from a situation or a season of your life, but we all have a viewpoint when it comes to our resources, we see things from our perspective. You know, last week I watched a football game, it wasn't the Chiefs game, and anytime the Chiefs aren't playing, I'm really all not that interested, but like a moth to the flame, if a game is on, I'm watching. Anyone else there with me? Now, if it's any other NFL team outside of the AFC West, I just always like, believe they're going to tie. I want every team to be average so that we can be excellent. But I was watching the game, and there's a, 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 what's called a bang-bang play. Just things happen real quickly. A guy was kind of going down, got hit again, and he fumbled the ball. Uh, and the ball was on the ground, and like I, I do what most of us do, I'm like yelling at the TV, oh, it's a fumble. 
It was a big play. The whole game could swing on this one play. And the way I saw it is the guy fumbled the ball. But what they do now is they have a instant replay review. And they would sign it. So what they do is like, I had the viewpoint on my TV, a couple feet away, a thousand miles away. But what they do is they take every camera available to them, which is in sometimes the dozens, and they slow it down. They watch it frame by frame, and they make the right decision most of the time, the right decision <laughs> to get the play right. And what ended up happening is they reversed the call. I was wrong. I'll admit it for the very first time. <laughs> I was wrong. They got it. They got it right. They have different camera angles. They can slow it down. The Bible gives us a viewpoint, heaven's viewpoint of our generosity. There are parts and passages of the word of God that are open up for interpretation. Many of us, though, will read something in the scripture or even skip something in the scripture because it doesn't align with our current viewpoint or desire. Can I challenge you with this? That anytime you're reading the word of God, and it's something that you see God says or he sees differently than you, instead of fighting for your viewpoint, can you just admit, I'm probably wrong. The, the God of, that created heaven and earth and the God that sees things, he's outside of time, he created time, he's right in, right in time with us, might actually know what he's talking about because he's got a different viewpoint. And there will be a replay for your life. It won't be instant, it'll be eternal. That how we live life out here plays out in eternity. And this is why God's viewpoint is different than ours so often. It's because he's trying to focus on something that's lasting and eternal, something that's sacrificial and significant, not just the way that we might see it right here. Let me give you God's viewpoint of generosity. Proverbs 11, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. You want to live a big life? You want a significant life? Live a generous life. The viewpoint of heaven is that when you walk in generosity, your world gets bigger. Because I know people that have a lot, but they don't give a lot. They don't care a lot. And their world is as small as it comes. They might have the resources to do big things, but they always will live a small life. I know people that don't have very much, but they walk in generosity. And they have opportunity, God opportunity. And I think the replay in eternity will be great for them because God is never asking you to do something with that which you don't have. He's asking you to do the best with that which you do have. And I think in the replay of your life for Hillsong, Kansas City, for our amazing, faithful, generous, sacrificial family, it will go well where it matters the most because you're choosing a viewpoint like the kingdom has, a viewpoint of generosity. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. And those that help others, they are helped. My heart for you is for these next few weeks where we're focusing on what we, can we do with that which we have is that your spirit will get larger, that your world will get bigger, that your viewpoint, viewpoint or your perspective would shift to begin to see things the way that God sees them. In the book of Acts, we have a rapid revival. We're just saying, Lord, send revival. I believe that that same spirit that started a revival, the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, lives inside of every single believer. 
So the truth is, he's already sent revival. It's on the inside of you. How you activate that revival is based upon your obedience and your honor to the word of God. I think it's based on our unity together. I think it's based on our generosity through the church that God didn't want us to activate more revival than ever before. But what we see in the early church, as we call it in Acts chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, is an outbreak of salvations, an outbreak of changed lives, an outbreak of even the miraculous move of the Holy Spirit. But it all started with a small group, a group that stuck together. It said they were in one accord. They were united, a group that prayed. A group that when the Holy Spirit came to them, they didn't keep it to themselves. They generously shared it to the world around them. Even courageously, they shared it. I love this. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. We need that right now more than ever. Our world, our nation, our city needs us to get in the same heart and the same mindset. Goes on to say, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, it's not a biblical calling to socialism. What this is, is a perspective of heaven that my life isn't just for me. It's about what God can do through me. Now, what we see, let me just give you a little Bible teaching for a moment. What we see is that men and women in the church begin to sell off some of the things that they own like land and pool it together so that more people could be reached, more people could be taken care of. Now in that time, that was probably the wisest thing they could ever do because in just a few years, Titus is coming from Rome and he will occupy that area in a way that even Jesus didn't see when he was there. He's going to burn down the temple, and he's going to own all the land. So they were actually selling off something that in a decade wouldn't be worth anything. And they took that moment, which its viewpoint in that time was, was, was worth a lot, but in 10 years wouldn't be worth anything. And they took that which was worth a lot and did a lot with it. In the same way, listen, I'm not saying for you to sell anything. I want you to grab a hold and catch the spirit and the viewpoint of generosity that what we have now isn't worth as much as we think it is. But what, where it matters the most in eternity, that's where it matters significantly. And then you can begin to live a life of generosity when you don't just focus about what you can get for yourself, but what God can do through you so that he can get to other people through a church that walks generously in the way that we live. What I see through this passage is that generosity works best in partnership. Just like we don't want one or two people pushing the car when it's broken down, we want as many people as possible. In fact, I think when we have generosity at work, it fuels the front lines of our faith, frontline generosity, in a way where we don't need to constantly stop for a refill, but we're moving forward. If there was ever a year to fear that I've been alive, that you might not have enough to get to the end of the month or the end of the year, it would be 2020. But what I love about you, Hillsong, Kansas City, that in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of, of, of scarcity mindsets, you've walked in greater generosity than we've ever seen before. <laughs> to the tune that we've almost fed two million meals out to the city around us, 
I've talked to several pastors and leaders that they've had peaks and valleys in this season like never before. And we've experienced a little bit of that, but because of your faithfulness and having the right viewpoint and collective unity of generosity, we haven't missed a beat. So now what can we do with that which God has given us? We can do even greater things because we're in this thing together. Generosity works best in partnership. It's generosity with gospel advancement. I want to read a large portion of passage from Philippians chapter 4. Many of the verses here by themselves you will recognize, even if you're new to church. It says this, I know, Paul writes, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. In other words, I've had my good days and I've had my bad days. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether I've been well-fed or I'm going hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. I love it. Yes, verse 14. Yet it was good of you, church in Philippi, it was good of you to share with me in my troubles. Now, just on the surface, when you read that, you think that they shared in his hardship. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is there, you shared with me when I was in my troubles, in other words, I was in a tough season and you came and you helped me out. It was good of you. That was good of you to take care of me when I was in a little bit of lack. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except only you. But in other words, it's like other churches that Paul was encouraging, that Paul started, he started this church in Philippi. He says, none of the other ones took care of me, but you did. Everyone else was focused on other things, but you had a partnership with me that you took care of my needs so I could go where the gospel hadn't gone. Except only you. This is not a disclaimer or a diss on any other church, but I want to be that church. I believe that Hillsong, Kansas City is an accept only you kind of church. That when everyone else is thinking about playing it safe, we're leveraging that which we have so the gospel can go to places it hasn't gone. He says there, early in your acquaintance with the gospel, what he's really saying, because he's the one that brought the gospel to them, he said, early in our relationship, when you were still getting to know me, you still gave sacrificially. I love that early adopter faith, being on the front lines of faith. And if the church of Philippi did that, so can we. He goes on to say, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. Paul's saying, I'm not trying to get anything out of you. He says, what I actually desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that, you have, that I have received from Epaphroditus, that's a good name, we need to bring that back. If you're pregnant in here, think about that name. Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent. I love this. What he says about their gifts, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory 
in Christ Jesus. There's a hundred different things I want to say about that passage, but just a few things I want to highlight. Just the power of partnership. That they fueled the kingdom in a place it hadn't gone yet. And they were the only ones. But it wasn't just a one person. It was the whole church. This is why generosity is a partnership. This is why no one is asking you to give what you do not have, but God might ask you to give what you feel like you might need to hold on to. God's the one that does the stretching of your heart, but the significance of our gift and the significance of our sacrifice isn't just so we can have something for ourselves. It's so that others can have what we have because the Bible says he who has received much, is, the much is required. In other words, we receive this gift of grace and the church of Philippi got it and I hope you get it too. That this is a place because God has been so good to us. We want others to know the goodness of God. So we're going to fund and fuel the gospel so the mission of Jesus can keep moving forward. You know, no one in Philippi built the church or reached the people in Corinth. None of them wrote an epistle. Paul invested in a whole lot of other churches, but not a lot of churches invested in Paul. What I love about the church in Philippi is what I'm leveraging this opportunity for us in Heart for the House, which again really is about heart for the world, is heart for humanity, is we're understanding that our dollar goes where our body can't. They decided to put their money on mission. Can I challenge you just with that thought? Put your money on mission. Put your money on mission. Let your money be like a missionary reaching India, reaching Myanmar reaching our nation, reaching Atlanta, reaching Kansas City, reaching people groups you might never come in contact with, but they decided they were gonna send out their gift to a place they weren't gonna go. But because they sent out the gift of the gospel through the Apostle Paul, everything he did gets accredited to their account. This is the beauty of coming together in unity and partnership with generosity. The book that you have on your seat to those that is available online shows you every place we're going to give to nations I haven't been to, places I'm not planning on going yet, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> I grew up a missionary's kid. I've already been to 30 plus different countries. I'm good with here and now right now. It's great. I'm enjoying family life. I'm enjoying this season of life, but I love the thought of that I get to invest in a kingdom leader. In, in Mumbai, and in, in Myanmar, and places and pockets of our nation, in our city, that I'm putting my money on mission. I, I hope that you catch the exhilaration, the excitement, and the adventure. Like I talked about last week, you need to add adventure to your life. When you begin to walk in generosity through the local church, you're adding adventure, and you could say, hey, I am a missionary, because I help fund the advancement of the, the cause of Jesus Christ in places that I've never been to. Proverbs 19 says, when you give to the poor, it's like lending to the Lord and he will pay you back. Our giving to the poor has never been greater through Hillsong, Kansas City. In the last four or five months, we have given more than we have in the last four or five years combined. Well done, Hillsong, Kansas City. Well done. It is an honor to get to lead and to pastor this church of incredible generosity. But there's more good to do together. We unlock the generosity that happens only in partnership. How do you see it? What's your viewpoint? 
I pray that you'd get the viewpoint from the Holy Spirit, the viewpoint from the Word of God, and a perspective. And if you need to be challenged to change in this area, trust God enough to make the change. How do you see it? How do you start it? I think it starts right here, right now. For many people, I would say probably 100 plus people in our church, Hartford House will be the first time you've ever given to the local church. I love that. I love that there's an opportunity for us to give, and I wanna encourage you, don't just settle for a one-time gift. Live a life of generosity. I really am a firm believer because I'm a believer in the word of God and the power of the tithe. That if you've not been a person that participated in giving back to God, which is already his, that's what the tithe is. It's wholly devoted unto the Lord. Malachi 3 says it belongs in God's storehouse so there might be food in God's house. And tithe is not a Bible word. It's actually a mathematical word. It means 10%. I believe it means the first 10%. I lost some of y'all in here when I started talking about tithing. Could it be that this is a place that where maybe you've had a wrong viewpoint and maybe you need to go back to the word of God and say, hey, if God says it, I have faith to believe it. In Malachi 3, God says, test me in this and see if I won't open up the floodgates and the windows and the outpouring of heaven on your life. Why could it be that this is a place where you might have a wrong viewpoint and maybe the enemy has blinded you in this spot? because of a lack of trust or just a lack of faith, whatever it might be, I wanna encourage you, change your perspective. It's the first 10%, I believe that's why it matters the most. Just like God in the Old Testament asked for the firstborn of an animal to be sacrificed or turned over, it's because before you get something for yourself, you realize everything comes from God and belongs back to Him. I'll tell you this right now and I'll move on. Your 90% blessed by God is greater than the 100% in your own hands. The tithe is the training wheels of generosity. It is the beginning point of biblical breakthrough and resource in your life. And I'm telling you, if as a church, we would all begin to rise up to the challenge. And maybe you say, by the end of 2020, I'm going to walk in being a tither. Be challenged in this. And you'll see that we will fuel the advancement of the kingdom greater than we ever have before. When you tithe, you turn your money into something holy. Holy doesn't mean perfect. It means devoted unto the Lord, something God can use. I mean, that's why we go to work. You turn your work into holy. Some of you are like, my work ain't holy. Have you seen my boss? But then we go to work, why? We have a J-O-B because we're expecting some M-O-N-E-Y. You ain't going for the free coffee tomorrow morning, right? You know that at the end of the week or every other week or at the end of the month, first of the month, whatever, there's a paycheck there. So what you're doing by honoring God in that place is you're taking your nine to five and saying, I want it to be holy. I want it to be used by God for something any great. The people I know that walk in the most generosity are the people that see their giving, whether it might be seemingly a small amount or a large amount, they see it as worship. This is a continuation of my worship under the Lord. In Philippians, again, chapter four, he says, this is a, a, a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice. This is pleasing to God. I've had a challenging thought lately that church, it's great to see people coming back and our numbers online, even as we've regathered, are, are kind of staying the same. People are tuning in more than ever before. And I, I'm loving that. But we were gone from gathering for what, four months? Something like that, a little longer than that. And we're doing the online thing which is great. And those that are still watching and tuning in, I love it. It was great that we were still kind of rally cry and 
Again, your guys' generosity in that season allowed us to do more than we've ever done before. It was amazing. But I've had this thought like, hey, if we were gone, like gone, gone, like no north, no plaza, no house of hope, would it matter? Would not just us, because this is our church home, but were those that call Kansas City home, would they even notice? I don't know about you, it's a really challenging thought. It's not plaguing me at all, but it's motivating me. It's motivating to make sure that our mission and our message isn't just for the four walls of the room, but it's for the four corners of the city. It's for the East Coast and the West Coast. It's for North America and South America. It's for Southeast Asia and Europe. It's for Australia and beyond. That we could be, that would the city weep if the church was gone? It needs to change our mentality and change our perspective. When I lived downtown and I drove my kids to school, I drive by this old church, mainline denomination, beautiful building, well kept, brick and stained glass, a big steeple and a huge front yard. But I never saw anyone there. Before not long, there was a for sale sign on it. Drove by it for a couple of years. Finally, the city bought it for pennies on the dollar. And they leveled the whole thing. They put a big grass field there. They expanded the front lawn and they began to put some playground equipment on there. And it's a park and a park is great and our kids need parks. Okay, I'm all for parks. This is a pro-park message. I'm a pro-park preacher. But I know that church had its heyday because the size of the building and the beauty that they built, they had some significance happening. And I'm sure some of the people that still went as they were beginning to diminish were missing it greatly. But it was a park and they leveled it in the middle of the winter and they put the equipment out there and ain't no kid going to play in the park in December, January, February. So as I drove by day after day, Monday through Friday, I never saw a single kid out there. And it would bother me to no end. Again, I'm still pro-park, but I'm pro-Jesus. I'm pro-gospel. And I just thought about over and over again, like if the church didn't exist, if it was gone, would it be known? Would it be noticed? Would it matter? I believe what we're doing through House of Hope, what we're doing around the world, what we're doing week in, week out is so significant. It's making an eternal difference, but we wanna make sure the city knows that God has sent a church here that loves God, that loves people, that isn't here just to preach a message to them, but we're living out a mandate to seek and save the lost and to serve humanity like never before. Because there's some people that have a preconceived mindset of what church is, and I want to prove them wrong. I want them to know you don't have to look like me, you don't have to talk like me, you don't have to act like me, but you can be a part of this family. You don't even have to believe yet to come here. In fact, you don't even have to come here yet. We're coming to you. We're coming with open hands and open hearts. We're coming with generosity. We're coming to love on your kids. We're coming to take care of the hurting. We'll reach you wherever you're at because this is church. And if you don't feel the stretch of significance, I want to make sure that your life matters for eternity. And when we start living kingdom first, we know that it will be a credit to us for accounts the most, that heaven will be filled with people who were once far from God because there was a church. And we'll be that church that will reach people, that will love people, and that will serve 
people. I pray as we all stand to our feet, we will worship God. I want to share one scripture as you stand up that you need to stretch. Generosity has a stretch. God is the God of all comfort, but he is not a God that lets you live in your comfort zones. Yesterday's sacrifice had its significance, but today has a brand new surrender. Find the stretch in this season. Use your money to do good. I believe we do something great. Start where you are at, but feel the stretch. Psalm 112. It's talking about righteous people. Righteous people, God's people. Because of the cross, that's you and me. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. There are forever issues at hand. And I'm grateful to be a part of a church family that takes the forever things of God very seriously. Can I pray for you? Father God, I thank you that you loved so much that you gave. You reached us where we were far from you. Before we ever took a first step from you, while we were still sinners, you died for us. And now that we've re recipients of this good news, we live for you. I am grateful, God. I am thanking you right here, right now, for such an incredibly generous church. In the midst, in the midst of a global pandemic, fueled by anxiety and fear. We were such people of faith and faithfulness that we gave sacrificially so that other people who were going without would have their needs met. In the same way, God, we thank you that we get to live in the stretch of your significance. Lord, I pray, not by my voice, not by my mandate, but by your Holy Spirit, you're gonna to speak to the heart of every single person. Where do they need to change their viewpoint? Where do they need to activate generosity? And God, I thank you that you're gonna do something significant through their sacrifice that we've never seen before. Lord, we're asking you for a revival in our city, a revival in our nation, and a revival that touches the world. In Jesus' mighty 